Abba Father, thank you so much for a beautiful day, cool weather. Thank you for protecting us from the storms, and uh, good to be here. Uh, Abba Father, there is so much more to to life than this world has to offer. There's there's so many things beyond us. Would you please help uh, open up our eyes to see and our hearts to know and understand who you are and what you're what your love is all about, please. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, just by way of review, uh, we covered last, a uh, couple Sundays ago, biblical evidence that Jesus was really living out his faith, but particularly the esteem that his father granted him. And I wanted to show you, just emphasize number four, that Christ kept his relationship with his mother in perspective. That's really wise and on my caseload, the clients that I see, it is by far more often than not, there's a damaged view of mom and a damaged view of dad. It is just so common. And with those damaged perspectives can come a lot of, a lot of harm. And as I'm fond of saying, all of us are adults trying to get past our childhoods. It's really good to hold mom and dad in perspective and see things from a wise and, and fair perspective. Uh, number eight is critical to me that Jesus was so emotionally and morally secure in his relationship with his father that he could, he could handle most people that are considered to be unacceptable. He didn't view people as being, oh, they are so diseased, they're so damaged, they're so dysfunctional, there is no way I could have a relationship with them. There's no way. He didn't do that. He was able to see people from a really unique vantage point. Um, so just, just wanted to review that with you. Now for today, we're going to jump into more evidence that Christ was living out of steam. But I wanted to begin by uh, developing a little bit more about ego defenses. As I told you, uh, Sigmund Freud and his daughter Anna are the ones that really developed all the research and, and much of the material that we call ego defenses today. And that shouldn't scare us. And just because I said Freud in church doesn't mean I'm a liberal. I'm not. I, I don't worship at the altar of, of Siggy. Uh, I don't worship Siggy at all. But tell you what, uh, pretty smart dude, to be honest with you. Real smart. And he, he understood things that just now today that we're catching up and verifying scientifically what he knew 100 years ago. So pretty fascinating stuff. One of those things is this idea called splitting. Okay, let's review it to make sure that we get what this is. Here's what's going on with splitting. When we're children, got lots of little kids here this morning. When you're really young, you learn about morality. You learn about right and wrong. And in your mind, you tend to form two rooms, a good room and a bad room. And in those good rooms and bad rooms, we put people and we put ideas. For example... Uh, good people do good things and good things happen to them. Bad people do bad things and bad things happen. It just kind of makes sense, right? In fact, to reinforce this, we as adults believe the ultimate bad room is called hell and the ultimate good room is called heaven, right? And boy, some folks are going to one place and some are going to the other. How's that for the ultimate splitting? Okay? So here's what happens. What do you do when you, you've got your mommy and your mommy says... Eat your green beans, and you get the cookie. Is that not simple morality? (laughs) You can't get the cookie unless you eat your green beans. And so the beautiful little girl, the beautiful little boy says, 
I, I'm a good girl. I will eat all my green beans. And then what does mommy and daddy say at that moment? Good, good girl. Good job. You ate all your green beans. I want my cookie. <laughs> okay? And you give them the cookie, and morality is born. In their little girl, little boy brains, it makes sense. I do good things, I get a reward. I'm good. I belong in the good room. And then all of a sudden, you move out of concrete thinking, and you move toward concrete operational thinking, and eventually full abstraction, which is where we are today as adults. And we go, whoa, let's tap the brake. Something's wrong. Daniel, why does a good God let bad things happen to good people? We got a problem. <laughs> why does a good God let bad things happen to good people? Don't like that one. Or flip it. You know, why does he let good things happen to bad people? Bad things happen to good people. And all of a sudden, our little room, our little two-room house doesn't work so well, and we get pretty upset. And in fact, I was talking to the cop at the um, uh, 9 o'clock service, you know, and by the way, some cops just hate working traffic. Brian hates traffic, but you, know, you get five people going 65 miles an hour on the boulevard here, five going 65 miles an hour, and the first car gets pulled over. Do you know what that guy's mad about? The other four yeah, got yeah, off. Wait. And that is not fair! And all of a sudden, when our little girl, little boy brains of nice, neat, clean morality, there's a good room, good people do good things, they get good things. Bad people do bad things, they get bad things. And all that kind of breaks apart because we see inconsistency in life. Good things happen to bad, bad things happen to good. And all of a sudden, guess what's important now? Justice. That's an issue now. We, we want to make it happen, Captain, and we want to make sure that we get our way. And we're going to compensate to balance this goofed up room thing. We're going to do something to gain control and try to justify what's happening to us. And it gets really, really hard to do that. And if, you are, if you're prone to being a control freak, and surely no one in a crowd of this size would be a control freak. But in the, in the remote chance, there is. Someone who really has got to be in control. Life is exhausting. It's just hard. Okay? So guess what? Jesus hits the scene and, and, and he slaps Sigmund Freud around just a little bit. And this is what he does. He says there's a grace room. And it's very, very special. Because in the grace room, those people who have given their hearts to Jesus and have experienced the new birth. Some of those people who are good folk, they do bad things. <laughs> those good, born-again Christians do bad things. And yet they get to stay in the grace room. They don't get kicked out, <laughs> right? And sometimes those people that are born again and they, and they feel like they're really bad people, even though Jesus lives inside, they're bad. And they just see themselves as bad morally bankrupt people and sometimes they do good things and they get to stay in the grace room. Isn't that beautiful? The grace room changes everything. Okay? Because if you're like me, there's not a single person in my life that hasn't disappointed me and there's not a single person in my life that I haven't disappointed myself. Because I live in the grace room. 
Does that make sense? Now, guess what? If you are stuck on childish thinking, and Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, when I was a child, I would think as a child and act like a child. But when I became a man, I put away the childish things. Put them away. There's no need to live that way at all. Okay. Evidence that a grace room has formed between your ears is how you get along with people who hurt you. And if you can't get along with people that hurt you, you're probably living in a two-room house. Okay? All right. That's my backdrop for this. All right. Jesus settled the following critical issues in his relationship to God the Father. First, love. John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, even so also I have loved you. Abide in my love. Okay? Proximity. John 16, 32. Though all of you will be scattered and all of you will leave me alone, yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. Mission, Luke 2.49, Jesus uh, surprises his mother by saying, why are you shocked that I'm here? Didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? He was on mission, Marlon. He knew, he knew he was loved. He knew God was near, and he had a calling on his life. He was on mission, all right? Boy, when we can settle those three things, life can get so good. To know that we're worth loving, that God is not neglecting us, and there's meaning in life, we have purpose. What an amazing thing that can do for us. And when you learn that kind of grace, it lets you build a grace room. Okay? And is it interesting in John 15, 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Guess what? When the snare is something like this, as God hates me, I have to hate you. <laughs> Stay away from me. <laughs> that's, that's what happens when you humanize John 15, 9. If you live in a world of hate, that's what you're going to pass on, right? You can't give away what you don't own. You can't give away what you don't own. If you feel hated, you're going to act like that to other people. But Jesus says, look, as the Father has loved, he settled the love issue. As the Father's loved me, has loved me. I love you. Stay put. Abide in my love. Number two, Jesus had a father-centered focus. Scores of references in the New Testament describe Jesus calling God Father. Okay? Father. All right? Um, that lesson is so important that the author of the Gospels insert a very special Aramaic Hebrew word. Aramaic is a, like a subset of Hebrew. Uh, Michael, it's kind of like redneck Hebrew, right? It's country Hebrew. No kidding. It's like country Hebrew. I'm serious. That's what it is. It's like the local Hebrew dialect, okay? And the word is Abba. Abba. And if you know anything about, uh, you know, about Hebrew, you'd go like, well, that's strange. Why is he calling God his Abba, Father? That's redundant. You know, do you go up and say, Mommy, Mommy, can I have a cookie? You know, 
and baby, baby, eat all your green beans and I give you the cookie, cookie. You know, we don't talk that way, do we? We, we just say the name once. And yet, in the Gospels, it says, Abba, Father. Well, that's redundant. Why? Why would that happen? Well, that is because the word Abba is a very tender and loving word that a child may use to describe daddy. It might be something like Papa or Daddy or, or something like that. Does this make sense? Okay. Uh, some scholars, German scholars, uh, say this word is drawn from, from the, the vocab of the nursery rhymes. And because it's evil to, it's evil to say Abba, Abba, Abba. It's just easy to say. And that it, it's something a child might phony, might be able to say like, like Dada, Mama, Dada, kind of thing. Makes sense? Jesus settled up on the father issue. Again, many of the clients on my caseload, dear, dear people, some dear friends even, uh, have yet to heal from father wounds. Three, Jesus had a kingdom center focus. Mark 1.14. This is the first sermon Jesus ever preached. It goes something like this. The hour is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. There's his first sermon right there. The hour is upon us. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe the gospel. There was something about the kingdom of God that, that, that was real in the heart of Christ. The idea, Anna, is that there's more than just what we see with our eyes. The kingdom of God is much bigger than just what's on planet Earth. It's real, and it lived inside of him. Number four, this is so important. Jesus had an eternal sense of timing. An eternal sense of timing. And what I want you to do on this is think about a uh, kind of like a kingdom clock. Like the clock is ticking. And Jesus just had an eternal sense of time. There are two words that are, that are very important right now. I want you to get the first is called chronos. Chronos. The second is kairos. Those are two Greek terms. Kronos, kairos. Kronos is, is this right here. What time is it? Well, it is exactly 11.23. All right? That's chronos. Chronology. It is time in the linear sense of it. Linear time. Kairos is very different. It's more about the opportunity, the appropriateness of the seasons or something. Uh, there are ladies here that are pregnant and chronologically we can say well your due date is probably going to be you know October 10 but we really don't know do we because as every woman here knows those babies get here when those babies want to get here and that's called kairos in the fullness of time all right Jesus had an eternal sense of time it's like there was a kingdom clock ticking inside of him so much so that uh, people would come up and, uh, well, in fact, his mother in John chapter 2, his mother walks up to him and says, hey, we're running out of wine. Let's go. Take care of it. And Jesus says, woman, what business do you and I have together because my hour is not yet come. Okay. In other words, mom, and he held her in perspective, you're not telling me what to do, okay? That's not what this relationship is between us. That's not what's going on here. Okay, Mom, my hour's not here, and nobody's going to boss me around while I'm on planet Earth. Okay? And then, of course, being the gracious man that he was, he, he, uh, he, the servants came, and they, they took the, the big pots of water, and he made wine. 
But he said, my hour's not here. There was a kingdom clock ticking inside of him. Okay. And that's an idea that was repeated over and over again. He says, you know, there's a story about an enemy, Satan, slips in and casts tares, weeds, among the wheat that's growing. And the servant said, do you want us to pull up the weeds? And the servant says, no. If you do that, you'll uproot the wheat as well. Wait until the kairos harvest time. Wait until the fullness of time. And then they'll be uprooted, there'll be a separation, and the tares will be put in a pile to be burned, referencing hell, and the wheat will be put in the barn where it will be valued at chairs, referencing him. Makes sense. Kronos time, Kairos time. So, a bit of a reminder if I could pause for just a moment. Has anyone here ever yelled at your microwave to hurry up? Maybe, Mary, maybe we're kind of addicted to Kronos time, aren't you? Maybe there is a few control freaks in the room here. You know, when you're yelling at your microwave to hurry up, something's wrong. Okay. Boy, we live on earth, time and space, deadlines. Uh, as Stephen said in the 9 o'clock, you know, what do you do when you've got to be at work at 8 o'clock, and that's not 8.01, that's 8, and, you know, a, a really responsible person gets there before 8 o'clock. You know, it's 7.55. You know, some of us are so addicted to chronos concepts that we don't just think in terms of hours or minutes. We're getting down to seconds. And you think about, you know, you, you put your coffee in the, the microwave and you press 30 seconds and you're waiting. I could, I could be doing some of the things right now. I really could. If I run upstairs and brush my teeth and run back down, I'll do it in 30 seconds. You know, efficiency, efficiency. Sometimes we get so caught up in this stuff that we are actually missing what life is all about. And the kingdom clock is not ticking inside our hearts. A personal control clock is ticking inside of us. And we are getting so consumed with control in minutes and seconds in this metronomic kind of way of doing life that we're really missing the beauty of what's happening right in front of us. So much so, Matt, that you hear this little proverb, the days are long and the years are short. Isn't that true? Boy, the days are long. Wow. But the years are short. Jesus had a kingdom clock ticking inside of him, this eternal sense of time. Jesus took full responsibility for his life and he took full responsibility for his purpose. This to me is so important. Listen from John 10, 14 to 18. I am the good shepherd. How's that for knowing who you are? I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep, my sheep know me. Verse 17, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life for the sheep. I'll take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. Can you pause just for a second? Please appreciate something. Jesus Christ loved you, loves you, and died for you on purpose. It wasn't an accident. There are some historians, liberal historians, that would try to make out the crucifixion as a kind of... Uh, Jesus didn't play his social cards well. He kind of blew it. 
and became an enemy of the state. And bless his heart, the wheel of Rome just kind of crushed him. And that if he had a chance, he would have redone. No, it was all done with intentionality and purpose. I lay my life down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up. This command I received from my father. I love that because it reveals that Jesus took responsibility for his life. Anybody here know an addict? I'm talking about the real ones, not the Cheeto, Cheeto addict. I'm talking about the real ones, those with real problems, you know. Anybody know an addict? And is it not true that an addict characteristically will not take responsibility? They won't. The drug takes over. The alcohol takes over. Or whatever it is. It takes over. And you, you can't talk them into an ability to respond to life. They lack responsibility. Jesus took responsibility profoundly. Just a few more. Uh, John 2, 24, 25. Jesus would not entrust himself to anyone, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony or report or CAT scan about the soul of mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Okay. Can I just tell you something, guys? Uh, your spouse makes a lousy Messiah. Ladies, your husbands make a lousy Messiah. Singles, your best friend in the whole world makes a poor savior. Okay? Please be careful what you expect out of folk. Be careful. Okay? We need Jesus. Amen. Do you know what? We really do. And when you turn to another human being as though they're going to be able to fix you, you're making a pretty unwise decision. Okay. And I'm not trying to say people don't encourage, and, and they do. Uh, I, you know, Lisa keeps me out of the nut house, all right? So I need her. But you know what? She's not my savior. She's not. And it would be silly for me to put that kind of pressure on her or that kind of an expectation. She's not my Holy Spirit, okay? Jesus would not entrust himself to people because he knew what was inside each person. Lastly, Jesus was able to sacrifice for others because he could see the big picture. I love this. The Hebrew uh, author of Hebrews says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the author, perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. What do you think the joy set before him means? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy? What was it? Ha ha, I, they're going to torture me. Ha ha, I'm really into torture. Was it some sick, twisted thing like that? What's the joy set before him? We are. Us. We are. Who said we are? Yes, yes, Ed. We are the joy set before him. He saw the big picture and was able to sacrifice, sacrifice himself for us. How's that for love? How's that for love? 
And we are so foolish to think that the greatest love is somehow romantic. It's not. I promise you. Most folk fall in hormone. They don't know that they call it falling in love. No, you're falling in hormone. You're just too young to understand what's going on. But I'll let you enjoy the, the delusion. Okay, go ahead. You, you enjoy those hormones. You'll, you'll wake up one day and they'll, be, they'll change. There's no greater love than the love of Jesus Christ. Period. No greater love. And don't, please don't confuse love with hormones. So, one of the ways the enemy deceives the followers of Jesus is to help them believe that meaning, real meaning in life is found in scheduling and control. Promise. That's where meaning is found. But for those with the esteem of Christ, meaning is found in a kind of eternal kingdom clock that ticks inside our souls, that lets us do the will of God. And this is based on the work of the Holy Spirit. Now this is so important. Paul said this in Ephesians 5. Be careful how you live your life, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every kairos, making the most of every opportunity Because the days are evil. Wow. The days are evil and the days are long. But the years are short. Paul is saying, make the most of every kairos. Every opportunity. And the only way to do that is when you live and work for the will of God, his kingdom, and by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You are the gifted body of Christ. Counsel us. How do we live? Now remember the whole point of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The whole point is to show us this is who Jesus is. We follow him. We are known as followers of Christ, which means we're disciples, which means we memorize and repeat what he would say and we replicate how he would act. That makes us followers of Jesus. So these are things that you and I are supposed to do. This is it. This is what we do. We claim to be Christians. What difference would this make in our lives if we settle up on the critical issues, we settle up on Father, we settle up on kingdom, the kingdom clock, taking responsibility, being careful who we give our hearts to, (coughs) and being willing to sacrifice because we see the greater good. Counsel yourselves well. Why does this matter? How do we do it? How would a church do this? What difference would it make in our lives and certainly in our homes? You know, you unpacked a lot, and so I'm going to pick one. Application. You talked about control. Now, before I was a Christian, when I was going to school, I had deadlines, and it had to be done by a certain time. And when it wasn't done at a certain time, it stressed me out and I'd freak out and worry because it had to be done at a certain time. Now that I'm a Christian, now that I have, now that I know Christ for myself, now when I go to school, it is totally different. Wow. So now I took my degree and I dedicated to him. It's all his. Every assignment that I do, I don't have a timeline. I don't look at the, there's a big goal. 
But I don't, I don't look at the big goal. It's like, okay, what I need to get done today. Lord, I need your wisdom. I need you to help me. And it may not get done on my schedule, on my time, but I know it's going to get done. So the trials of the overwhelming feelings that I have throughout the day, I don't worry about that. Lord, that's yours. Lord, before every test I take, I pray. Lord, I come against test anxiety. No worries, no stress. It's all about you. I need the wisdom. I need the understanding. I need you to give me what I need to excel, to give you the best. The best is an A. I want an A not for me. I want an A to glorify you. Mm -hmm. and, and even when I get overwhelmed, because it happens, stress comes. Yes. Lord, take it. Lord, let me go serve somebody else. Let me go do something for somebody else. And in those moments, he's going to work this out for me, and I'm going to get it done in his time, not my time. That, so the stress and the anxiety and the timelines no longer matter. They're not a problem. Because in the grand scheme of things, all wisdom and knowledge, he wrote, he gave all the truth, he gave all the understanding, he gave everything that I need to uh, succeed. So it's not me doing it, it's he doing it in me. And so throughout the whole process, I get to solely depend on him. I get to see him work out everything. I get to see him do everything. And so the end result, does that mean that every assignment gets an eight? Nope, sometimes it doesn't happen. But do I beat myself up about it? I said, no, well, it happens. Go for the next one. And so now it's all about him, and I can see him in everything yeah. that I do. That is beautiful, Kena. If, you, if you've got your Bibles, turn to, to John 11. Uh, remember the story of Lazarus? It says that Jesus intentionally waited to go to Bethany. He intentionally waited. He ignored the chronology of the moment. He ignored the pressure of the moment. And he chose Kairos instead of Kronos. He intentionally waited for the opportune moment. So much so, look what it said here. Verse 32 of John 11. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him, fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, Kronos, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary is upset that Jesus didn't come on, on the scene when he wanted her there. She wanted control. And it was a matter of Kairos and not Kronos. So thank you, Cana. Thank you. Someone else, why does this matter? What do you mean? When we rush. Yes. <coughs> um, personally, I'm thinking just about situations at work. Taking that extra five seconds to think a little bit further in that situation before I hit send on that email or mm. um, how I respond to the quick fire things that are coming at me um, to just take an extra moment. Yeah, yeah. Pray something. And, and stop rushing clarity. Yeah. Did you hear that? We lose clarity 
and sometimes make rash decisions because we won't stop and we won't just bear up under the weight of it and, and max, max out the moment, live for this moment. That's good. That's good. Anne? So I think a lot of times whenever, at least it was for me, whenever you go from being a Christian, like being a Christian to not being a Christian, whether your, your church was bad or whatever it was, and to coming back, you're like, oh, that wasn't all my fault. Like none of that decision was, I just got influenced by the wrong people. I got in the wrong crowd. I hung out with some people that were bad influences. But then like in this, I don't know what number it is, because I can barely see the screen. Um, but something about like taking responsibility. Yeah, yeah. Um, like it was our decision to do those things. It was our decision to hang out with those people. Um, and even if that wasn't like your best decision, like I think owning that is something that's been what I've been going through lately, just like recognizing mm. I did make that decision and that it doesn't change who I am now or like the fact that, oh, we were a bad person then, but if you don't own it, then you're just kind of like pushing it off on everyone else. Well, that was their fault. It wasn't mine. Mm. Thank you so much, Anna. You know, there, in a, in a general kind of way, you can, you can identify two kinds of personalities. You have one, one who's a projector, and the projector loves to blame other people. They love blaming. And by the way, they normally have a long list of people that live in the bad room. Okay, They're kicking folks to the bad room because they're blamers. They're projectors. And then you have the other, which is the introjector. And guess what? They're the ones that blame themselves. It's all their fault. And, and boy, they get that one, Daniel, from mom and dad. Thank you. Uh, Anna, it is so common that a person who blames other people and won't take responsibility, they're projectors. And they love to take their own responsibility and somehow project it out and drop it on other people. Well, my life would be a lot better if you, my life would be different if you, and they won't own it. They just don't. They just don't take responsibility. By the way, there's, there's projection and interjection in all of us, okay? And there should be, because there needs to be balance, right? Sometimes people really do some dumb things that hurt us and, and we project on That's fair. Sometimes we do some dumb things and we hurt ourselves. That's fair too. And we need a little balance in that, you know, to be responsible with our lives. But boy, howdy, you cannot, you cannot behave for someone else and you certainly can't make them behave for you. You've got to take responsibility for your life. That's wise. Gareth. You know, you said that, like, your spouse isn't your savior, but they definitely are, like, you know, your sanctifier. You know, they make you more like Jesus. Did you say sandpaper? Is that what you said? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sometimes sanctifier, like, sandpaper. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. No, hammer, chisel. You taking responsibility, right? Yeah. And Jet and I were talking about something stupid the other day. And, um, I think, like, my GoPro had died or something like that. And I was taking the responsibility off of me. It was everybody else's fault. It was, like, all this kind of thing. And she was, she was like, you are not seeing how this is your fault. You aren't seeing that. Like, and she was wrong, of course. Right, <laughs> naturally. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm with you. And, you know, it's in that moment where you're like, you know what, that's... It's very true, and it's very difficult for me to admit that that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
But in that moment, you know, you learn more about yourself, and yeah. you see that, you know, your spouse is, um, when they're close to the Lord, and they're listening to the Lord, they're able to be that uh, voice of the, the Holy Spirit in your life, that you're able to mm -hmm. get closer to the Lord with. So, mm -hmm. it's cool. And if you're not married, you have countless other people. Yeah, like that. You know what I mean? It's not like, you know, if you're not married, you can't get close to the door. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you know, they just happen to be the person that's been, he's been on your phone. So, you, the, your spouse is like the biggest tool in God's toolbox, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 David? Yes. Yes. We're talking about time. He was showing how it will be on the cross. There's small parts. How he got, when he was told, you know, he's praying to all the Father, forgive them, they don't, they know how what they do. Yes. He was showing a small part of that. Yes. Right there, by immediately felt moved by the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And, mm -hmm. and, and he moved and went. Mm -hmm. Yes, David, thank you. And you know what? He didn't snap at her and say, would you quit being an ungrateful brat? Right. You ought to thank me for being here. What's the matter with you? He knew our sinful nature. He knew our sinful nature. And instead of being any kind of defiance, he had compassion and forgiveness. Yes. And yes. 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 Thank you, David. Thank you so much. <sighs> you can find someone better than Jesus, someone who has a more pure love, a more intelligent social ethic, more humility, more courage, someone willing to die to fix what is broken inside your heart, and then take the barrier away between you and God at no cost to you, please follow them. By all means, follow them. But if you can't, Please have enough spiritual, moral IQ to follow Jesus. Okay. This is the example that he's given us. I want to pray for you right now. Please pay it. Abba Father, thank you. God, I ask, would you help us right now to settle up on the issues of love and the fact that you are near and you care. Settle up on the fact that we do have purpose and we need to take responsibility with who we are and why we're here on earth. Would you help us listen to the kingdom clock that's ticking and have an ear to, to listen, to be led by the Spirit, please? There's so much more than just what is here on earth. Give us Kairos hearts, please. Thank you so much that life is found in your son, Jesus Christ. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.